And this evening, I'm joined by Joe Kritz and Kenneth L. to discuss the Texans' 2021 NFL draft class while I'm out here uh, feeding the mosquitoes and enjoying the, the dying light from May the 6th. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm doing fine. Ready to talk about the, the, the Texans passing up on Kellen Mond. Your, your version oh. of Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah, doing well over here in, in cloudy San Francisco. It is disgusting outside and expensive inside. <laughs> that, that's the best way to describe San Francisco. And then also, uh, watch out for the human feces whenever you take a, a step out your door as well, too. That's an important part of San Francisco from what I remember. Well, yeah, I mean, if you don't if you don't have the feces app, like you never lived in San Francisco. <laughs> in the full San Fran experience. Oh, always. So last weekend on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the NFL draft took place. And since its conclusion, us three have been very busy going back and watching the video on each one of the Texans draft selections. If you forgot, they took Davis Mills at pick number 67 in the third round. They traded up just like Nico Collins at pick number 89 in the third round. They selected Brevin Jordan at pick number 147 in the fifth round. They selected Roy Lopez at pick number 195 in the sixth round of the NFL draft. And those are the Texas draft picks. And one of the things that was really missing here is kind of like last year, they missed a first-round pick. Uh, they did not have a first or a second-round pick in this year's draft because of the Laramie Tensel trade. And I do want to bring this up again because one of the things that I uh, really harped on about whenever the trade was made was that there are people who said, well, it's not that bad of a trade just because the Texans are going to be good. They're going to be picking in the mid-20s. So this pick really isn't going to be that uh, valuable to begin with. But as you know, football is a very mercurial game. A lot of things can happen pretty quickly. Um, you can have a bad one-possession record like the Texans did last year and go 2-8 and eight, one score games and win four games out of nowhere just by having a top-five quarterback. And now you lose picks number three and picks number 35, and uh, you're trying to rebuild a four-win football team without having the most important resource to do so, and that's draft capital. So congratulations again, Bill O'Brien, for outdoing yourself with the DeAndre Hopkins trade and the Jadavion Clowney trade. Uh, just an absolute masterclass on how to ruin a football team, and I'm very happy that uh, he was able to do so and get away with it as long as he did. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't – I thought that – I can't say that I liked the trade when it happened because obviously it was terrible, but I didn't think it was going to sting as bad as it would. I didn't think that we were going to go through a master class of collapse in this like like this way where we actually missed out on the number three. <laughs> it it just it hurts more every day, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, we really sold sold our soul this past year. I, I ultimately. Between that trade and also not getting anything early for the DeAndre Hopkins trade, uh, we just didn't set ourselves up for success for this draft, along with the, this entire new regime trying to make an impression, trying to build in their fo of like bringing players who they want. 
we just they they were handicapped to begin with. And that's a good point, Kenneth. I didn't think about that as well too. That the trade isn't just a tensile trade, but it's also or this draft isn't just a tensile trade, but it was also the result of only getting a second round pick and David Johnson for DeAndre Hopkins, where. You know, you should at least get a first-round pick for a top-five wide receiver and a future Hall of Famer and a player of his caliber. But that's also, you know, one of the reasons why they had such a, an empty draft as they did was because of how badly he botched that portion of it, too. And that's something that I forgot about as well. But it's always something to remember is that if you're trading first-round picks, uh, you may not have a good football team the next year, and it's not a good idea to do so, especially whenever your team is built on winning a lot of close games wasn't very good for performance-wise in 2019 to begin with. And these are things that happen, you know, whenever you make decisions like this. So um, it was very, very terrible from the very beginning. And at least, uh, you know, Tyrod Taylor and Davis Mills will have a very good very good left tackle and Tunsil protecting them on a three- or four-one football team again this year. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I, I feel like this is why Nick Casario has just been at, like just been doing so many strange things because I think he's just kind of punted on the season and he's decided like he's just gonna coast through all of 2021 not making any big moves. It's just it's just trying to start with a completely clean slate in 2022. Um, he's just gonna make a completely mediocre to bad team for 2021. See if any of these rookies are diamonds in the rough, and then. And then the rebuild starts for real next year. Because <laughs> there's just there's just too much bad. Yeah, and I want to say that and talk about that kind of towards the end because I, I had some thoughts on that as well too about what idea that uh, Nick Casario kind of has here for this team after the season and what he's trying to do for this season to begin with because I'm not exactly sure what his plan here. But what we'll do is we'll go through each one of the Texans draft selections, kind of talk a little bit about them, and then uh, kind of point, touch on some kind of macro things at the end of this. So... Um, Joe, with, with Davis Mills, I watched him and I think he's like, there's a lot, there's some things he does well. I think he looks good in the pocket. He's not afraid of pressure. He has a good pump fake. He processes the game well. He knows what to do before the snap to create easy throws for himself. He throws well in rhythm. He's good off of play action. He's able to uh, throw a touch pretty well also. He's like, he's not very fast, but like he mo- he moves the pocket pretty well, even though he's sometimes blindfolded and really dumb whenever he does yeah. that. I think he throws with throws with the rhythm really well as too. And like I also like the fact that he has no fear whenever there's a defender in his face. Like that touchdown throw he had against Notre Dame in two thousand nineteen. Like he's worth a third round pick for that throw alone. Like that's the type of like potential that, you know, you kind of get really excited about. It was like a worse version of the Deshaun Kaiser touchdown against Virginia like seven years ago, however long it was now. Uh, what are some things that you liked about Davis Mills as a quarterback? I liked um, I liked how he had a lot of the basic fundamentals of quarterback down that I like keeping his feet square, fo- following through in the, mo- in, the, in the throwing motion, going through his reads quickly, starting at the correct re- read all the time. And these are those are kinds of things that I would worry that with only 11 games in college that he wouldn't be consistent at. He was really good at keeping his eyes down the field when pressure when pressure stayed and those very basic fundamentals that a lot of college quarterbacks that were drafted this year don't have. Uh, he's not they're not as good as he is at these very basic things. So being able to nail those basic fundamentals with only 11 games is encouraging. It tells me that he's really good in practice, he's good at making sure he does everything correctly and the ball jumps out of his hand 
he's he he loves the back shoulder fade down the sideline, and I mean, he he has a knack for throwing players open, especially against um oh what was it? I think it was uh, Colorado that he had a lot of deep throws in that game, or maybe it was Oregon State. Um, either way, he he shows flashes of this extreme accuracy and being able to command an NFL offense while having all the fundamentals down that all NFL quarterbacks need. Um, and with only 11 games, that gets me excited. But he's wildly inconsistent. So do you think the Texans you know, ran up and were so excited to take him, kind of based off the potential, the fact that he only played 11 games, that there may be something raw kind of here to kind of glean more out of him if he played you know, 30 games in college? And then also that kind of points to the fact that he was the number one high school recruit coming out of you know, high school, of course, and was even ranked ahead to whenever he did decide to go to Stanford. Do you think those things kind of combine why Houston was so excited to select Mills and why they took a quarterback in the third round to begin with? Yeah. Definitely. I think I think um, the reality that he could have been a first round or early second round pick next year made Houston think that they were getting a steal in the third round here, because I'm not really sure. I mean, there's still a lot of things we have to go through in the 2022 NFL draft class. There's still a lot of quarterbacks in college like that Oregon quarterback and Matt Corral from Ole Miss and Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma, that we're not really sure where they're going to land next year. There's really only one or two quarterbacks that, we, that we're certain will be first-round talents next year. Um, but if Davis Mills would have decided to stay at Sanford for another year and gotten a full 12 games in, he probably would have been, if, if he would have been everything that he was in 2020 and slightly better, he probably would have been a first-rounder um, next year. So they saw that and they said, this is a developmental guy that could look like a first rounder in 2022. Let's see if we can get an okay team around him and see if he's worth keeping around next year. Hmm. Yeah, I can, I can, I can buy that as well. Um, do I necessarily agree with that? Probably not. I think Mills entered the draft <laughs> because he had that knee injury and yeah. probably wants to make sure that he can go out there and collect a little bit of money, get some pro experience. And like, I think he was kind of like him and the other quarterbacks that same sort of, uh, group right below the guys who are taking the first round. I think they're all kind of similar, and they all have like some big strengths and weaknesses, which is what you kind of have happen in the third round. But the track record really isn't that good for that position as well, too. Um, Kenneth, what are some things that you liked about Davis Mills? Uh, I definitely will. What I like, I like that he is very tactical. He is very but procedural in a good and bad way. What's what's funny when I watch his film is like I, I'm saying, OK, that looks right. That looks right. His, his feet are so well prepared. But then the throwing motion just leaves me a lot to be desired. And so every time I I'm watching him, I'm like, OK, he has been taught very well. He was is he probably looks really good in shirt and shorts on the practice field. He has probably very great command of the offense and knows the mm-hmm. system inside and out. But then when the lights come on, I never saw him hit that switch where he took over a game or he was able to command and move the team down the field. It felt very passive. It felt very under, it was underwhelming in the sense that it, I didn't think that the Texans had to go get this guy. And obviously the first two, you know, the first two rounds went by and no one else did either. So, I mean, almost every, every other team said twice, we don't think he's the guy for us. And of course with the Texans, it's their first chance and they, they take the they take the big move on him. I'm interested to see from a development standpoint where he progresses. I think from a as, as Joe mentioned a consistency point that has to get better. 
um, and then throwing the ball down the field. He's good at throwing people open, but I don't think those deep balls were as as promising as they could be. I, I agree. And I and the big question that I that I've been avoiding is is his injury history. I mean, there's a reason he's only played 11 games is because he hasn't been able to stay on the field. And you can be you could be the greatest quarterback ever, but if if you have that knee in, injury over and over, it doesn't matter. So I think the Texans are betting on him to stay healthy, for him to continue to develop, and for these these like flashes of first round talent to become constant and that's a lot you know this is why people are saying he's a boomer bust player but this is i mean this is a this season's already over so you might as well see if you can take a chance at someone like that yeah, yeah I don't... my player comp for him is is philip rivers in, in terms of like the throwing motion yeah uh, it's yep. very short yeah uh, he's not going to move in the pocket very much it's very short but really wide base yeah uh, pretty agile in like a five foot radius but that's about all you get uh he just needs to work on I think turning the hips and uh, trying to dial in the, the speed a little bit more. Yeah. 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 I don't really think he has that good of an arm though. I think it's fine. Like I don't think the ball gets there very quickly and he can make some NFL throws where you can go from one hash to the other sideline and like he can make it, but the ball doesn't like super get there. Like I think his arm is good enough, but it's not like a, it's not anything that really kind of jumps off the screen at all for him. Um, I know you're kind of talking about like his, you know, how he's kind of spotty and how he needs to kind of clean up his game. I think a lot of that's kind of his feet. Like whenever you watch him re- kind of go through his reads, he kind of loses his feet and he doesn't reset yeah. to like throw where he's pointing at. Um, a really good example of that that was like watching Josh Allen from his rookie year to like today. Like before, like he'd throw like these kind of crazy combinations where his feet are all over the place. And then you know, last year his feet were absolutely perfect where he resets every time he goes into his read into his next throw. And like his feet work in use of his brain. And so Mills is one of those guys where like he's good on a first read, he can go through the field, but his body and his feet don't necessarily match his brain. And that's something he needs to keep up to date with this well too. Um, you know, his agility stuff, like he can move in the pocket well and like he had and like he makes some guys miss kinda of here and there, kinda of does some funky things. But like, he's creative without being very good at being creative. Like uh, it's somebody who I don't know. I, I, all the jokes, that sounds like me. Uh, yeah, all the jokes I make are not very, I guess, like on co- like not very things. I guess are very good for this podcast and what we do here. But it's not like the craveness that you would actually want to see at all. Like it's like drawing like a, a swastika out of poop or something like that. It's like yeah, that's a, nobody's really done that at all before, but nobody wants to see that at all. And I think like Mills's <laughs> creativity is kind of like that in a bizarre way. And also he he's he reminds me kind of like Zach Menberger. Where like he's in the pocket, he's kind of slow back there, and he walks his way into a lot of sacks. He's easy to take down. Uh, he'll climb the pocket, but he won't like climb the correct direction and take the right gap. And now he yeah. walks himself into another sack and puts himself yep. into problems that he shouldn't be in as well either. And that's something like I guess you can kind of clean up, but you don't really kind of see it all that much. And I know there's some developmental stuff that you mentioned, Joe. But he's a third round quarterback, and if quarterbacks selected in the third round kind of get like. They either sit behind a good player for two years and then get a chance, or they get one chance and that's it. And so I don't yeah. really know if he'll ever get the full chance in Houston to be able to play at quarterback. And if Houston gives Davis Mills, you know, three years to try to be a starter here, um, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. So I I don't really I don't really understand the pick from the for those reasons on my end of it. Well. You you mentioned something important, which is that he like he steps. He, he's not he's like a strange sense of creative in the pocket. And he'll often walk in the sacks, and I think that's my probably my biggest criticism of him is that when he senses pressure or he's getting pressure, 
all of his fundamentals and his basic positives of a passer kind of fall apart where he becomes a, a worse thrower. He's less accurate. Mm-hmm. He takes too, He holds on to the football too long. He's trying to get the ball downfield when he shouldn't play. He plays hero ball, even though he has he doesn't have the arm to be doing that. Um, he just he's not the athlete that he thinks he is when he's getting pressure. And that causes him to make mistake after mistake. And that's what I'm worried of is that it's not going to get easier in the NFL. It's He's going to be getting pressure more often and the players are going to be bigger and stronger and are going to be able to take him down faster. So he can't get flustered and start freaking out and try and bail himself out of a situation like that in the NFL. So, but... I, what if here, here's what I think is going to happen. He's going to be given this year. I don't know how many games he's going to play. At some point, Tyrod's going to get hurt, or they're or we're going to be like one and eight or something, and we're just going to throw Davis Mills in there for the hell of it. Um, and and he'll get walloped. And yeah, <laughs> it it'll be hell for him if he shows any sort of development. If he shows a positive, if he has a few good games or some development over the course of that year, then. Will be three and fourteen, four and fifteen, or what? Or four Whatever and um, thirteen. Yeah, yeah. Cares. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and we'll draft a quarterback in the first round of the twenty twenty two draft. But we'll we'll let Davis Mills and that new quarterback have a competition, and that'll decide who the starter is next year. And Davis Mills will be our souped up backup. From well, then on. And we talked about this too, Joe, that Tyrod Taylor's cursed. He's going to get hurt in the first two yeah. weeks of the season. So, like, <laughs> I don't think Davis Mills should play at all this year, but I think he's going to play because of the curse that Tyrod Taylor has. Yeah, I mean, we got Pep Hamilton. He probably brought down the demon syringe that he that they that they shoved in Tyrod Taylor <laughs> at Los Angeles. <laughs> Who would so, do you do you think that Davis Mills has a better higher ceiling or than Tom Savage? Yes. Yes. I would say yeah, I agree with I, that too. Yeah. And also, Tom Savage is like 27 when he was drafted. Yeah, <laughs> it was like Jordan Aikens, right? He wasn't that old. Yeah, he was like 24. So it's weird. He already but had no, a daughter, I, I think, by that time. There, there's some very raw arm talent in Davis Mills that is that is tantalizing, and I think it's why there was a lot of people out there that were saying that he'd be a second-round steal or he's secretly as good as Mac Jones. We just don't get it yet. Um, I'm not that high on him, not at all, but there's some there's some raw arm talent there and some anticipat- anticipatory throws that very few quarterbacks in this draft had that he shows flashes of, and... I, I can I can see I can see getting excited about him because if he can turn that into a daily thing, then he's a good quarterback. Well, so Kenneth, why do you think the Texans decide to get quarterback? Like, what was the reason for it? Do you think it's as simple as, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson's not going to be here and we have to have somebody replace him? And you kind of buy the strategy of just selecting a quarterback over and over again until you finally get one because it's the most important part of a football team. No, I don't think that this organiz- this current leadership is trying to take lottery picks at the the quarterback. That's more the Jacksonville Jaguars route. I, I think, I mean, that I semi-believe them that they just purely took the best player available, which okay. is a terrifying concept because I, I don't think he was the best player available, especially for the position. I, I think it sends a, a clear message, and I was listening to Clint Sterner uh, podcast that they have they know Watson's out. I mean, this it's a clear move. They obviously know that uh, you know, we, the current quarterback situation is untenable, and they had to find a solution. 
this is the quickest solution. Now, it, if it's logical or not, I that that's here or there. But I think that they made this decision based off of the the overall situation and working to probably with the you know the same thing that they're doing with the defense, find patches, find band aids for the short term, and then once every once they have all their picks and they you know have these low draft picks, then they can really start the process in a probably about two year time span. Hmm. Yeah, I, I see. I think that they, I think that too. Like, I don't think Watson's going to be here. I think we knew Watson was going to be here as soon as David Coley was hired. Um, that kind of made it clear that, like, yeah, they're going to rebuild this. You know, Coley's here just for fruit boxes and, and orange slices. You know, and so whenever the, he was hired, like, that kind of signified the end of Watson here. Um, but I don't. Again, like, I don't really understand. Like, still selecting a quarterback. I know, like, that makes it clear that he's gone. But again, like you want to be able to build a good environment for whatever young quarterback that you start bringing in the future. And I do think like the third round, like a lot of you got, you know, both of you guys did such a good job of finding players like in the third round, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round that could maybe be like starters for the Texans and where you could get a starter at position like your know, defensive tackle or interior offensive line or maybe even like nickel cornerback or a spot where the Texans don't necessarily have a player of that caliber to come in and start or even compete to start those spots. I think that'd be more important to have a starting center than have a quarterback who is probably be bad for the next two years or so, and uh, and it's probably gonna be nothing more than like a backup who you're okay with, you know. And so I'd rather be building like an ecosystem for the next good quarterback than try to take a flyer on a quarterback who's probably not gonna be very good in the NFL at all. But didn't we just do that with Watson? Didn't we just spend like a good four years before Watson? Dealing with Ryan Mallett, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tom Savage, Brian Hoyer. Like, we buy, we did just bide our time find, waiting for the right quarterback and yeah, building an entire roster around him. I don't think and Davis like, Mills does that, though. I, I, don't think take, I don't think Davis Mills does that. I don't, I don't think taking a quarterback in the third round addresses the quarterback position. Like, all those guys that you're naming, Kenneth, Kenneth those are guys who are, like, taking Davis Mills in the third round, you know. Uh, drafting Deshaun Watson addressed the quarterback position. And, like, I know the name redacted, signed, didn't work out at all. But that was still, like, an attempt to address the position. And so I don't really see Davis Mills as, like, an attempt to actually address the quarterback position. I think it's, like, a scratch-off ticket. And I also think, for whatever reason, it's a guy that Nick Casario and Jack Eastbury absolutely love. Like, I think they like his character. I think he's the type of Texan they want to have. I think they feel like they got a steal, you know, and they thought he was the best player available, like you mentioned. And so I think in their minds, they're addressed in position. But from what I'm seeing here, Bob, I don't think they are, though. I, I'm i going to argue the opposite end, and I will defend them taking a quarterback. And I'm going to start off with the fact that we already, we've already seen the end of Sean Watson in Houston. And I think that's a perfect example of why you should always, you should always aim for the bleachers every time in the draft with a quarterback, every single year, take a quarterback, see if you can see if you get a diamond or rough or you get a home run player, because you never know when your current franchise passer is going to play his last game for your team. And quarterback is by far the most important position on the field. So you just keep aiming for the bleachers and you just keep taking them. So that so that it's you know you're gonna you're gonna land on one eventually and you never know if your first round pick next year whether it's Sam Howell Spencer Rattler Dylan Gabriel or that Oregon guy or Matt Corral we have no idea if any of them are gonna be any good mm-hmm. so we might as well have some security blanket in case Davis Mills develops or he looks okay and since it's the most important position in football you can never swing too many times. 
Yeah, I, I think he's. It's more of a bunt, though. You know, I don't really see it. Like, <laughs> I don't look at it as like a full swing. And I also think yeah. there's a, there's like the quarterback position is so much more fluidity to it than it used to be. Where it's like, okay, this this team feels like they have a quarterback and they're gonna sell him for six years. And even they go six and ten, they still like their quarterback. They're gonna keep trying it out. Now with the way the quarterback market works, you can sign veterans. You can trade for veterans. Um, you can kind of find the position in, in kind of more unknown sources. There's always guys to kind of slide down here and there. Um, there too as well. So I don't know. I just I don't I don't really just buy that you know, Mills actually you know does much for you know, the Texans so at you, all. Would you prefer an Andy Dalton led twenty one twenty one Texans or I, Davis Mills? I would rather have Tyrod Taylor just play <laughs> eighteen play seventeen okay. games and then have a starting center. You know what I mean? Or have like a yeah. nickel cornerback who could maybe be a starter there because you're going to be bad this year. You know, like regardless yeah. if Davis Mills plays or not, they're going to be bad. The, you have a higher chance of getting an actual good quarterback whenever you draft in the top three next year than you do of David Davis Mills being good uh, this season because like the best third round drafted quarterbacks since the Texans have been a franchise are Russell Wilson, Matt Schaub, and like Russell Wilson is the outlier there. There's never anybody like him at all. Matt Schaub was a, a really good starter for you know five years, but after that it's just a, it's a wasteland that position and there's a lot more Colt McCoys and. And guys like that, that there are actual successful starting quarterbacks selected in this round too. So yeah, think- I wonder if Kyle Trask who fell. He was the last pick in the second round. If he stayed around for a couple more picks, if the Texans would have made that move instead. Yuck. Oh, God. Ew. <laughs> you don't like no. Trask? I think Trask is a much better quarterback. Are you kidding me? No. No. <laughs> Kyle Trask is, is booty. I don't like Kyle Trask at all. He's got a weak arm. Was helped was helped with the receivers that he had. Was obviously locked on uh, his first receiver way too much, and he, he just doesn't. He, he's not an NFL caliber athlete or an NFL caliber arm. He'd be like he'd be like Diet Drew Brees, and I don't like Drew Brees anyways. <laughs> I'd much rather Diet Drew Brees than <laughs> and whatever we got. I was trying to, I was yeah. about to make a really yeah. bad joke, but yeah, no. I'd rather take booty and Diet Drew Brees than to no knees, no arm. And no feet. No, I no, I think Davis Mills has a much better arm than Kyle Trask. But I I, I don't I don't hate Kyle. Well, no, I don't like Kyle Trask. I I, I think he's a Gardner Minshew in in the wings. Um, I'll take that. I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll take Minshew for 2021. Said Davis Mills. You're convincing me. <laughs> uh, so, oh no! So I have the third round quarterback list here. It's by approximate value. It's Russell Wilson, Matt Schaub, Josh McCown, Nick Foles, Jacoby Brissett. Trent Edwards, Mike Lennon, Colt McCoy, then CJ Beathard, Charlie Fry, Chris Sims, and Charlie Whitehurst. So those are like the the level of quarterback that you're expecting there. And Ryan Mallow, of course, was a third round pick too. So I don't know. Like I, I understand that averages and empirical data kills the uniqueness of the individual, but I just don't really buy that Davis Mills is a unique individual at all. I and and I think kind of the scary thing here is what Kenneth alluded to, that they were really excited for this pick. Like Jack Eastman and Nick Casario were pumped up that they were able to select Davis Mills. And it seems like in their eyes, they thought they were getting the best quarterback available slash, you know, the best player available at that position. And the other really funny thing about the Texans draft room was David Coley was just sitting there watching him. And in my mind, projecting on David Coley, in his mind, he was saying, I can't believe that I have to coach with these two idiots here in this room. And these are the, this is what they gifted me. They gifted me Davis Mills at, uh, at this position this year. I can't believe this is what I'm staking into my career to. Every, every rookie coach in their first 
like head coaching gig is just loves when their general manager creates a quarterback com- competition. Like that's that's ev- that's every you know that's everyone's dream, right? <laughs> and I can't it's think of a, nice a worse. I can't think of a worse quarterback uh, competition this summer than Tyrod Taylor, Ryan Finley, and Davis Mills. Like that's what that's Ooh. what's gonna be the big narrative Ooh. for the Ooh, Texas training the camp. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who's the quarterback making that win? He's bad too, though. Yeah, I don't know why they trade a six-round pick for him. Also, why? There's no need for that. It's insane. <laughs> oh my god, we suck. It's we so, drafted two quarterbacks. It's so funny. It's so funny that we traded a six-round quarter. How much? How much do you think we're gonna? He's gonna play. How many snaps is Ryan Finley gonna have on the 2021 Texans? I'll say 37. <laughs> I th- I'm, I'm gonna. I'm, I'll give him like a full game. How much is a full game? Like 90 snaps. 37. <laughs> Uh, I said, well, I meant passing attempts. I'm gonna give him 37 uh, passing attempts. Okay, well that's a full game. Yeah, I'll give. Yeah, I'll do that. I think he'll have one game. I don't know what's gonna happen where he is in there, but he's gonna have a full game at some point. <laughs> and Lee will get the the TJ Yates treatment where he'll be the third string quarterback in a game and light it up. <laughs> but back to the because I I feel like this is an interesting question. So I accidentally made the argument for a Gardner Minshew-like quarterback with Kyle Trask than a raw developmental quarterback in Davis Mills. And that makes me think, would you guys rather have a Gardner Minshew who is a completely mediocre to acceptable quarterback that can't lead a raw, can't lead a team to success on his own but is okay enough to do his job? Or do you want to take a chance on a player that has some very raw talent and could turn into something special but it'll either take time or it'll never happen. Which one would you rather have? I think for this version of the Texans, it's raw talent all the way. But I do think like Mills is kind of Minchie though. You know what I mean? Or like except yeah. without the creativeness portion of it. Like I think he's a better athlete. Um, yeah. and probably has a better arm than Minchie has, but I don't necessarily think he like he doesn't have the same level of creativity that he has though. But I do think both those players are kind of similar. The hard thing about the Texans right now though is they don't have any cornerstone players aside from Laramie Tunsil. Like, I think you can maybe make the case that Tyus Howard is if he's healthy for the entirety of this year, if he develops as a run blocker at all. But like all throughout the roster, you cannot say that Justin Reed is a cornerstone player. You can't say that Zach Cunningham is at all. The roster's a wasteland, so it's just like you're trying to accumulate players and picks and young talent and try to develop them as best as you can, see what ends up working out and what you can find, and then use that as jump god points to build off of. And so, really, it doesn't matter. Like The Texans could have gone anywhere in this draft to this position, um, and they would have been able to like use that as maybe as a potential jumping off point. I just think there's so much that has to happen for a quarterback to be good, and I think Davis yeah. Mills is going to get the chance to, even if he could be good three years from now, um, with a team like the Texans. But like, I do think if Mills played this year, he may have a chance for some success. If the Texans do play that power run offense where it's like they run the ball 45 times a game, he throws the ball maybe 20 times, and 12 of those throws are all play action. And they go mm-hmm. like empty or no huddle or spread or down late or if it's a two-minute drill situation. And maybe if they do that, he could be you know, uh, fine enough and not be a complete disaster when he's out there. Like, I think the door's open for that to occur. And I think they have, like, with him and with Taylor, who could be more of, like, a Lamar Jackson type or actually be used as a runner in offense, I think they know what type of offense they're going to run um, as far as their run game goes. And I think Mills kind of lends itself to that just from the offense he was in Stanford and how good a play-action passer he could be at times last year, too. 
it's it's exactly why I wanted Kellen Mond. <laughs> exact reason. The exact reason. All right, so Joe, Imagine. make make the case for Kellen Mond because what happened oh. on on draft day is you were really <laughs> jazzed up for Kellen Mond, and the Vikings traded up in front of the Texans and selected him, and it reminded me of myself in 2014, whenever the <laughs> Vikings traded up with New England in front of Houston, selected Bridgewater, and I was heartbroken, devastated. Even though the Texans were never going to take Bridgewater. But at least I had the allure or the idea or the hope that they would, and the Vikings completely crushed it. And I like to live in a world where the Texans would have selected Bridgewater. Like I, I know you get to live in the world where the Texans would have selected Mond if the Vikings didn't trade up. It's just Mond is everything that Davis Mills is, but more consistent, has more experience, has proven that he can get better, and is a significantly better athlete overall. Mond makes all the reads that Davis Mills can, throws a better ball possibly has a better arm i mean he has an nfl caliber arm was throwing with anticipation way more in 2020 way more accuracy was perfect and was a perfect pocket passer for the most part i mean he had a really nice offensive line um but i mean he was great in the pocket he was great on the run has speed of his own wasn't afraid to i, I wrote some notes down here wasn't afraid to squeeze the ball into tight windows and throws players open in the middle field excellent pocket awareness and ability to extend the play when the pocket collapses Great vision and flash some impressive touch in 2020 season. Back shoulder fades became more frequent. Accuracy is fantastic at th- all three levels of the field, which is really impressive. Um, his anticipation isn't great. Um, I would have liked to see him use his athleticism more. But, I mean, talk about – I mean, I was really dreaming of him being like, you know, David Colley comes here from Baltimore. We get him on to be our diet Lamar Jackson he has a similar arm and similar throwing style to Lamar Jackson. He's not as fast as Lamar Jackson, but he can run. So, I mean, like, bring in that heavy run scheme. Put Kellen Mond in there for those play-action passes. He's accurate on all three levels. You can, he can throw to anyone you need him to. And he can run the ball so you can run fakes. It's just would have been awesome for Kali, but the Vikings, you know, the Vikings just wanted to, to rain on my parade. <laughs> I like everything so, you're saying. I, I liken I, him to oh, go for it. No, I was you can go ahead, Kevin. I was just gonna say that I like everything you're saying. I've never watched mom play football before, but it sounds really good. I'm I'm talking him up a little bit. He is an amazing but you know what's funny? Some people had him ranked over Justin Fields. I don't I don't get that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't get that. I can see ranking him over Mac Jones. I can see that. Because Kalamon made some crazy throws in 2019, 2020 that were like Mac Jones at Alabama, but he didn't have the supporting cast that Mac Jones is, or Mac Jones did. And Kalamon is a way better athlete than Mac Jones will ever be. So I can see ranking him over Mac Jones, getting getting him over Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. That's that's a little too much. But some people had him at, as the number three quarterback. So that's yeah, crazy. I for. For Kellamond, I see him somewhere between Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz. Uh, I was a huge fan of Carson Wentz, but I was less of a fan of uh, Kellamond. I think just because of the the consistency issues there. I and I also thought that Carson Wentz had a little bit more dynamic ball to him. I think that Kellamond could probably use a little bit more zip on his passes, a little bit more, mm-hmm. uh, you know, putting the ball right in the uh, like in the bread basket. And of course, yeah. for Carson, the, he's throwing. He was at North Dakota State. He was throwing guys who are open. And, you know, Kellamon definitely had a great offensive line around him. And you can see that because the Texans took like half of them in the undrafted free, yeah. uh, free agent. It's almost like they, it's almost like the plan was to get Kellamon, you know, bring in his offensive line, you know, set up the whole system for him. Nope, never mind. 
No, yeah, we were we were so close. Uh, I mean, I I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh no, you're good. <laughs> I I don't know what I'm talking about, so keep going. But uh, yeah, I, I think Kalamon was probably the would have been drafted. I would have I would like to have at least seen it. I feel like there would have been a revolution if we passed up on him, and then uh, the the team that traded in front of him at, took went right after us. I think that would have been a disaster. Um, mm-hmm. Just bad PR, bad juju everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But you didn't like him as much. You didn't like Kelmond. I didn't like Kelmond as much. Um, I don't know. I don't think I would have put them one two. I I still think that, or in terms of like Kelmond versus Davis Mills, I I think there's Kelmond probably projects out a lot better for me. Uh, you know, I, I see him. <laughs> there's here the difference is I have him at him being compared against like da- uh, Dak Prescott. I do have kind of like the arm motion for Davis Mills is Phillip Rivers, but I don't think he's anywhere as close as what Phillip Rivers will ever be. Yeah. Yeah, I think okay. they play, I don't play I don't think they play very similarly at all either. Um so Kenneth, do you agree that do you agree that Davis Mills is the best of that second tier quarterbacks out of like Trask and Mond, uh that he was, you know, the best one of that tier below the, the top quarterbacks that were selected in the first round? I mean, he was the best available. I, I still think Trask was a, was okay. definitely the better player. I, I know we we could talk about that for an hour. Uh, uh, so, but I'm still kind of lost there. Uh, Ian Book was also a guy that I enjoyed. I know he was definitely he was taken much later, I believe, by the Saints. Saints. Um, yeah, yeah, I I thought Ian Book had a great arm, had great downfield balls, uh, a little risky, definitely more inconsistent than anyone I've seen. But, I mean, Davis Mills also has inconsistency issues, also had, like, a system issue. So yeah. it, it's kind of here nor there. I would of – the, of the four, I'd probably rate them pretty similarly. Uh, Kyle Trask, Kalamond, I'd put Ian Mills above, above Davis Mills, but then Davis Mills above my guy, Sam Ellinger. Okay. <laughs> uh, Thoughts? No? no I, don't, that, I, don't that, I don't want to talk about Sam Ellinger. I don't want to do it. I don't because I don't want to be I like I don't like the University of Texas because I didn't I didn't go to that school and everything else and I don't this is a happy time Kenneth we're having a good time tonight, um so I know you two know a whole lot more about the NFL draft than I do so Kenneth if the Texans didn't take Davis Mills here who are some players that you would have liked to see them select at the spot that they had and the players that were still available at that moment, yeah so the number what's interesting is the number one player I really wanted at that moment was Davion Nixon, a uh, defensive tackle out of Iowa. What's interesting is he fell all the way to the fifth round and the Texans passed up on him once or twice. Uh, I think maybe three times because they they definitely did not go for him. He was a guy that I really enjoyed in the draft process and thought he would be an excellent fit. He's got a really great body for a 4-3 defensive tackle. uh, And he played a lot of Iowa which I thought was going to be very important because, you know, this draft had so many question marks in terms of players not getting, you know, not having this past year, not having the experience of playing in a full season or even a season at all. So I was really hoping that you'd get some guys with some, you know, you get some guys with uh, some experience. And I thought he was able to bring that. Another guy who got drafted right at the beginning of the third round was uh, Andre Cisco, the safety from Syracuse. I think he's a day one uh, starter. He reminds me of Andre Winfield Jr., who was, I think, a second rounder last year. Mm-hmm. Great talent, overall good skill set, well rounded. What uh, he needs to just kind of work on his. He's a playmaker, and I think what he needs to work on is making those plays more consistently. So I think Jacksonville really got a great safety that he'll be there for a while. 
uh, you know, as a long court, I wanted Joseph Osai. He went a couple couple uh, picks later to the Bengals, who had a here nor there draft. We could talk about the Bengals draft overall. Uh, but then there was another safety out of uh, Syracuse with a name I won't even try. I mean, a cornerback. I won't even try to pronounce it. I think he went in the fourth round. But uh, he was like six foot two, really tall, really uh, had some great speed. But overall, I mean, I think they needed to address the defense, and they absolutely neglected it. And it, that that'll frustrate me and make me stay up at night and and scream. But I mean, there's probably a couple other things that get in the way of that as well. Gotcha. Yeah, that I I really was hoping for uh, the Iowa defensive tackle too, and I guess he slid because of a heart issue. When they said we kind of talked about earlier as well, I think he would have filled a, a need. I really like watching him play. I think he's also like a good like penetrating defensive tackle. And the Texans' probably best penetrating defensive tackle right now is, I guess, Jaleel Johnson. You know, like it's such a that position's a wasteland too, like a lot of the other spots in the roster. Uh, Joe, who are some other guys that you would like to that spot? Well, this is this is almost like the reason that I did this whole uh, draft class deeper dive is that I I wanted to go through the players that we passed up, and there there's a few like later ones that we'll get to later that went around the same time, but I tried to base it around the context of who went around this third round that mm-hmm. we could have gotten instead. And the ones that I had down in my article were offensive tackle Jalen Mayfield from Michigan, edge Joseph Osai from Texas, cornerback Aaron Robinson from UCF, wide receiver Diame Brown from UNC, guard Wyatt Davis from Ohio State, and center Quinn Miners from I forget where Quinn Miners went, uh, but I think all of those players would have been starting players on our 2021 team. I think with with all the trouble that we have in the interior offensive line, Wyatt Davis and Quinn Miners would have been starters at guard or center. Cornerback Aaron Robinson would have solved our Lonnie Johnson problem. Even though I'm not really hot on Aaron Robinson, I I, I wasn't really hot on him as other ones. Uh, Joseph Osai would have been a starter for our team as well. And I was surprised. A lot of people had first-round grades on tackle Jalen Mayfield. I wasn't hot on him either, but we could kick him in the guard. Or mm. we could put him on left tackle and trade Laramie Tunsil. I think Jalen Mayfield could be a okay left tackle for a couple years. <laughs> Yeah, like um, who's going to play center for us? There, yeah, the, those two centers, uh, Josh Myers and Creed Mumphrey, who went right at the end of the second round, could have been yeah. slide in centers for us. It's just yeah. devastating. Yeah, it hurt. It hurt really bad to see to see Creed Humphrey go right before us. Um, but I would have loved Quinn Myers or Wyatt Davis. I think the, and Joseph Osai. I think those would have been great picks. Deami Brown would have been the sexiest one of all of them. But I feel like you can you can solve your wide receiver problem later in this draft. Um, so it would have been the offensive line that I would have preferred the most. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that too. I'd rather see him get like a center or a guard because I don't think Justin Britz can be good. I also, I, I'm not excited about the Cole Toner area, era at all either. Uh, they don't have a center at all. And I am kind of hoping for what Kenneth talked about like three years ago where he projects that Max Sharping will eventually start guard at center for the Texans. And so I'm kind of hoping for Max Sharping center because it's on the table now. And that was such Ooh. an outlandish, outlandish prediction. Never thought there'd be a chance it could happen. And it, it, I guess maybe it could happen. And that's what I'm rooting for this, uh, this training camp. These are the little things that we have to look forward to. I don't even remember that. Wow. Uh, I mean, I remember thinking we were going to draft Titus Howard. And I, I was like, there's, no, there's a potential it'll happen. And then it happens, but... Oh, yeah. I was like, uh, I did project him at center. I thought he was going to be the next Nate Martin. Wow. Thank you for 
You well, must have listened to the well, podcast from a couple of years ago. Yeah, it was. I think it was after they drafted him, and you're like, I think he, I think he's gonna play center here like three years or something like that. I was like, I don't think so at all. I think he's gonna play guard because he can't play right tackle at all in the NFL. And then we've watched him play guard, and now the door's open for him. So that's all I'm rooting for, though. Uh, when it comes to Max Sharpie in the center position. So we did a whole podcast just off Davis Mills, and so we'll keep going <laughs> through here through these picks, and maybe I'll break it up into smaller episodes. Who knows? Who cares? But so the next decision they made was they selected Nico Collins in the third round. The Texans didn't have two third-round picks, and so they traded their fourth-round pick at number 109, their fifth-round pick at number 158, and 2022 fourth-round selection to move up and select Nico Collins. Uh, Collins is a tall wide receiver, outside wide receiver. He's about he's close to six foot five. He ran four four five forty in his pro day. I don't really buy it. I think the pro day numbers were, you know, all over the place this year because the teams are clocking him. And I don't think he runs that fast on the videos well either. Uh, he didn't play last year in the two thousand twenty NCAA season. Um, I will say this before I kinda of ask you guys for your scouting stuff. I would have loved the Nico Collins pick if Deshaun Watson is still the quarterback here. Well, it's like <laughs> now we have a knee where we feel we have a tall possession receiver who can, you know, win vertical routes and uh, and attack the sidelines. And we don't have that. You know, we have Randall Cobb and Cutie and Brand Cooks and we have these small little teensy guys, but we don't have like a big physical sideline receiver and they have that with Collins. With, you know, trading up to select a wide receiver like this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I think Collins is interesting. I think he's the best player they select in this draft. But the trading up portion of it and uh, and the quarterback they have on the roster is really kind of perplexing. And there was a tweet that put it really well. It said, you know, the Houston Texans went from Deshaun Watson, and DeAndre Hopkins to Davis Mills and Nico Collins. And I think that summed up the Texans you know, draft really well, too. Yikes. Um, so, Kenneth, what are some things that you like about Nico Collins? Um, you got to love the frame. You have to love the, the diversity and skill set against what we currently have. Him and Isaiah Coulter will be battling for that that wide receiver, that, that X receiver, the person kind of who will be off the side and be able to hopefully draw attention down the field. Uh, he has shown good hands. He has a good good job of like highballing it. He does have a tendency to kind of flip his hands where his fingers are down and his palms are facing up whenever the ball is a little bit lower. I'd really like to see him drop those elbows and get his bigger hands around the entire ball because that'll allow him to then like flip his hips and then go upfield rather than like carrying the ball and let the ball's momentum push him horizontal. And so that's something I would like to see him working on when he's more in the flat route Mm -hmm. Uh, down the field. I really want him to work on his fake and his stutter. It's pretty obvious where he's going. Uh, He does a really poor head fake shoulder shift and then like flip inside. That's something that he'll need to work on because a a professional safety is not going to buy that uh, BS from him, he can he may be able to get uh, get away with that going against Rutgers, but not not against you know the, these professional safeties. So I'd like to see him kind of develop his breakaway speed and ability outside of the break as well. So a lot of like route running skills, a lot of kind of making having within his great frame, building upon that, and then developing a route concept and a route tree to that will allow him to be successful with his skill set. I, I I I almost completely agree with with everything with everything Kenneth said because I think he's I, I think he needs to polish on the route running, but his frame, his strength, and his um, speed and catching ability those are all the ingredients you need for a starting caliber wide receiver in the NFL. And I think he's exactly what the Texans need, like Matt said. Um, so that size with that speed and 
the 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 thing is is that the Steelers draft like amazing wide receivers yeah. deep into the draft every year. And the number one thing they look for is good hands. They want a big they want big wide receivers that have good hands. And Nico Collins is exactly that. I'm really surprised that he fell past the second round because I had him graded around the same level as Terrace Marshall Jr. from LSU. So I'm surprised he fell this far. So I think it's a steal for the Texans. And with that size, that ability to fight for the ball, and even when he's not picking up much speed, and even when he's going against corners that are straight up better than him, like Damon Arnett, he just he just gets separation. He just is great at using his body and finding the like the soft spot in the in the in zone and 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 snagging the ball out of the air. And he's not even that bad after the catch if he can just improve his fundamentals a little bit more. There's there's a high ceiling with Nico Collins. Yeah, I don't think he like creates a lot of separation on the routes he runs, but he creates separation with his body. Like he's really yeah. good at boxing the boxing cornerbacks uh, out. And it's kind of similar like DeAndre Hopkins. Like he thrives in limited amount of space. And I think Collins is kind of similar too. He just doesn't have like the same level of hands. And of course, like he's not DeAndre Hopkins, but um, just as far as like being a possession receiver, who's good creating space without much of penalties called on him as well too for it. But like again, I don't fully buy the speed for it. I don't think he like outruns guys all that well. Uh like, even whenever he catches like shorter drag routes over the middle, like, there's not like a lot of burst after the catch at all either. I I think like his uh his his route tree is either you know flaccid or hard. It's either a curl or, or a vertical route. And so he does need to be able to expand, run more routes as well too. But I think he's interesting. I also think too uh his quarterback play was so bad at Michigan where, like, it's just <laughs> nauseating watching the guy throwing the football. And so, like, I really want to watch this guy play with a good quarterback, and that may never happen throughout the entirety of his rookie career in Houston. Who knows? Maybe Davis Mills becomes really good, and they become a, a great one-two combination. Probably not, but I am interested in Nico Collins, and I think there's some development here. I think he, he feels a need for Houston. And, again, like, I would like to watch him play with a good quarterback, and who knows how long that could happen. But I do think if Tyrod Taylor starts week one, like he, Tyrod Taylor's not a very accurate deep ball thrower, Like he cannot throw a ball to Brandon Cooks deep at all, but he can throw like some heaves up to Nico Collins, let him go up and make some catches downfield. And so I do think there's some potential there for those two. Joe, you bring up a really good point with Steelers wide receivers. The second you said Steelers wide receivers, I thought Martavis Bryant. Uh, both are six foot four. Oh. Both are two hundred ten to fifteen pounds. Uh, have a, a a great like projection but didn't really develop into what i mean martavis didn't really develop into the wide receiver that he could have been he could be uh, i think it'll be interesting and i might even write an article trying to compare those two i think um that could be a good a good combination to look at that's yeah, a great comparison nico nico collins can be the mark what the martavis bryant should have been let's yeah, go martavis had one good year right yeah, no, Martavis Bryant was great for like I think in like 2015 and 16. Yeah. Like Martavis 15, Bryant was, was real. Great. Like he yeah. was actually good. His yeah, he was suspended year. 2016. Had 760 yards, but he had like he always had touchdowns. Like his first two yeah. years, like eight touchdowns, six touchdowns. So I mean, I would not be upset if, without the suspended year, that Martavis, you know, Nico Collins has a, in a mirror career to Martavis Bryant. I yeah, that'd be yeah. an acceptable draft pick. If, if we surround the right offense, because Martavis Bryant isn't a number one, but if you can surround like decent receivers around Collins, he's a game breaker. And I, I do I know you kind of wrote about today, Joe. You said you couldn't see him playing the slot. I know Mike said something differently. Uh, I think he could play in the slot a little bit too, though, like especially making blocks from that position. I like big yeah. slot receivers, and like I love the slot fade. I know it's a hard throw to make, 
But, like, because you have to outrun guys horizontally, it's kind of harder route. But if you're a pure speed guy with his size, like, going up against a nickel cornerback in the slot, I do think the door is open from there, too. And, like, if we're looking at this as a Davis Mills thing, you know, Mills loves throwing to the slot. And so I could see some potential Mills working with Nico Collins with him lined up in the slot. He doesn't have, like, the, the typical size, but it's kind of just like having a tight end line up as slot receiver yeah. uh, if you use Collins that way, too. My fear is that his acceleration is just so it's just he needs so much space to get up to speed yeah that his his route running ability in the slot and for those quick slot fades it takes him it takes him a nice a nice while to get up to speed so i'm afraid that that'll be interceptions waiting to happen or it'll be you know three to four yard gains maximum um because he just he just can't pick up speed that's a good um, point but but I don't know. I mean, like, like, like we were just talking about. He can, he can fight. He has a size. He can. I mean, like, if he's able to get stronger, he might be able to like shed a few tackles and turn, you know, three yard gains in the first downs. So he might not even need to use his speed. I mean, he has the size. <laughs> God, if 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 he had an entire summer with DeAndre Hopkins, who could show him how to use his yeah. body and use his oh frame. My God. To, oh my God, sweet Caroline. I mean, he. If, if he was drafted four years ago, he would have been perfect to sit in as a three wide receiver set. With DeAndre Hopkins, Bruce, or four with DeAndre Hopkins, Bruce Ellington, Will Fuller, and you have Nico Collins on the outside. I mean, you, come on, like here, like let's let's do it. Yeah, I have a very sad uh, thought for you, Kenneth. They could have done exactly that. Like they could have had an offense with Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, Nico Collins all in it. Like that could have happened. That would have been. A- that could have been, that would have been amazing. That, sh- that could have happened, you know. It's not an outlandish idea at all. Like it could have, and and you know, probably yeah. should have had, should have occurred. As Adele once said, we could have had it all. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then you gave it all to Bill O'Brien instead. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so I don't I don't know like I, I like the Collins pick probably the most. I think he's probably the most exciting player they selected. He fills an obvious need that they have as far as like a bit like as far as an outside receiver with some p- possession catching ability. Um, it's been interesting to see what happens to him. Like the one thing that scares me though is like what Joe mentioned, his ability, like his kind of his inability with acceleration burst, his problems with the route tree. And also the comps a lot of you see from him is Keneal Harry and Keneal Harry has been absolutely terrible in new England and the Patriots just did everything they could to make sure Keneal Harry doesn't play at all. And so that's the, that's the concern I have though, is if he's a player similar I, to I that. Just... We we talked about this during the the draft. I don't get that comparison. Nikhil Harry and Nico Collins are very different players. That's Nik- good. Nico Collins was doing things in college that Nikhil Harry was just not. Nikhil Harry doesn't have the speed and, and like the aggressiveness that Nico Collins possesses, and he still doesn't. Like Nikhil Harry was a red zone target, and that was it really for Arizona State in college. Yeah, I agree, Joe. Like like that's a poor man's like analysis because they both run like a, those deep, deep out routes. And they, you know, they, they work down the middle of the field and down the sidelines, but outside of that, they really don't have much in common. No. That makes yeah. Feel I think better. that I, I, if, if it makes you feel any better, I, I, I watched a whole bunch of analyses of uh, Nico Collins and a few people compared him to uh, Mac Collins, <laughs> but there was a few other people that compared him to Mike Williams. So that's that's what we're dealing with here. Mac Hollins or Mike Williams? Yeah, both better than the Kill Harry. Much better. I I really don't like watching Keneal Harry play football. Um, but yeah, I, that's that's good. That makes me feel better about that because I've watched. I didn't know how Harry played at all in college. I don't watch a lot of college ball at all. I just watched the pro game. It's just like yeah, he's just slow and he can't beat press coverage. 
and he just gets pushed out of bounds all over, over and over again. And every so often, he makes a catch over somebody else, but that's kind of rare. I know looking at the mock draftable comparisons for similar athletes to Nico Collins, you have T. Higgins came up for him, which I think is kind of interesting. And, that's a good. Uh, that's a good. Yeah, I yeah, see that. And so that was no interesting. way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, T. Higgins has so much more raw talent, and he does. Well, it's, yeah. it's just based off. It's just based off the. It's just based off the like the just the combine numbers, just that like profile, and yeah. so like okay. his his comp off there through the mock draftable, uh, it was like eighty five percent, but it was T. Higgins, Devontae Parker, Denzel Mims, and Travis Fulgham were the I guys can see, that he was I, most uh, comparable to. Yeah. The yeah, like the size and the in the numbers, I think Mims and Higgins are are good for something like that. They play they they're all they all play radically different when they're on the field. Yeah, but they all have very similar size, weight, and like wingspan. Mm-hmm. I think Collins is more of a speed guy than Mims and Higgins are. Uh, and that's I think, exciting. I think he's like a better top speed you know, that you do. I think they're better route 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 runners and catchers than Mims and Higgins. But I do think uh, Collins is more of like a, a just like. You know, Brashard Perriman type is like strong and fast and can run real far. That's where the NFL's going. So I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. It's I'm glad that uh that guy who has never had more than forty catches in his college career was the best pick. And in, in his season in the college was the best pick the Texans had in his draft, but this is what we have. So the next pick here is Brevin Jordan, pick number one forty seven, the fifth round. Let's hear your Brevin Jordan sky report, Joe. Uh Brevin Jordan, he was uh, an amazing player all around for Miami in 2020. Has nice size and athleticism. Really good blocker. I, 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 he had he had some a few good games where he just was like he was opening up lanes on his own with his blocking ability. And he's he's kind of a one speed guy, but his one speed is fast enough to get open in the middle of the field and mid to post routes. Um, and I don't. I don't know. I don't like how he translates the NFL as a receiver, like like an actual receiver. But he can catch passes, and you know he can be our, he can be what Kahale Waring uh, should have been, or what Jordan Akins should have been. He's about to become. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Kahale loves to compete. That's one thing I know about him. <laughs> well, you... he's gonna have one heck heck of a competition with Brevin Jordan because a lot of people thought that he was a second rounder. Yeah, well, do you so do you think that Jordan's blocking ability will be able to translate to the NFL? Because he is a little bit smaller. He's only 6'2", yeah. like two, uh, 220 pounds or so. Do you think he can be able to block at the NFL level? If he if he had some weight in the weight room and, he, you know, he uh, hangs out with the offensive lineman for a few weeks and eats a lot, maybe. Um, but other than that, I don't think so. I think he's going to have to really bulk up. If he wants to, if he wants to be blocking like he was in college in the NFL, but he definitely he, he shows like a real drive and a and a strong like fighting ability to push through blocks and and hold on to his blocks downfield while the running back is running behind him. So like okay. the drive is there. He just needs to get stronger. I like it. Well, and yeah, it's funny because like looking at his mock draftable stuff too. There's no tight end who's only six foot two in the NFL at all. Like he's like the only one. <laughs> oh, that's and, terrifying. And like his arm size yeah. too. Like he has a really short arm length. Like you never see tight yeah. ends with his caliber. And what's interesting yeah. is like both Jordan, Garrett Wallow, and Lopez, they all have athletic profiles that you don't see these positions at all. But I do think like they fit a certain skill set and like a tool that the Texans don't currently have. 
And so I think with Jordan, what he's able to do that Texans don't have that much of is just his ability to create yards after the catch. Like, Cooks isn't that great after the catch. Cobb's not that great after the catch anymore. Like, all of Cobb's yards after the catch in Dallas was because Amari Cooper and Gallup on the outside, and the whole middle of the field was wide open because of it. He's not good after the catch. Cutie's pretty good after the catch, but, you know, the fumbling issues are a problem. But I do think Jordan's actually really good in that in that regard, and I think he fills the need the Texans don't have. Um, I think Akins is pretty good, but I, I think Jordan has the ability to be kind of special after the catch, and I think it's kind of why the Texans selected him here at the spot. You're right. You're very right. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, when people selected tight ends, the immediate reaction is, do we need another tight end? Like, And people were, you know, oh, that makes no sense, but we need another tight end. You know, Jordan Akins has solidified himself as the starting tight end for this team, but he's not a, a you know an NFL starting tight end. He has a lot of room to grow. And after that, we have added a ton of tight ends, none of which are that impressive. So the pick itself makes sense. The uh, the issue that I have in this uh, Jordan Brevin draft pick is that I don't see the high end raw talent that I that he pro- he probably has, but I never saw it fully unleashed. And I really think that he has to work on his pass-catching ability. I saw way too many times where he caught the ball with his chest. Yeah. And at the NFL yeah. level, that that's a no-no. Like, yeah. you know, small arms and chest-catching is is kind of like a Kenneth Levy, no way, Jose decision yeah. when, I, when I'm watching. And so he, I, I'm a little concerned for him. Um, I, I think he'll be a special teamer at best. I think, I think if he learns how to catch more and if he uses his size and his strength – to like fight for the ball like he doesn't use his like i mean he's still bigger than most corners and safeties um so if he would use that strength to fight for balls and contest catches and he stops using his chest to catch the ball there might be something interesting there as a as a wide tight end uh but yeah he needs he needs some training my problem is is getting a tight end to not catch with their hands is one of the hardest things to do. I mean, wide receivers, it's going to have to happen or else. But with tight ends, it's it's a different beast just because of the way that they're built and the way that the routes that they're running, it's too habitual for them to switch to catching with your hands. And so I think that's going to definitely be a big leap for him. Uh, mm-hmm. As well, in the Miami system, he was running a lot in the flats and running a lot of slants, but there weren't as many option routes. And so I'm a little concerned about his ability to see the field and make a read, which I think is going to be important in this new offense. Yeah, you're right. Uh, if you is like it... if you like tight ends that can't catch, you're going to love Ryan Izzo, one of the worst uh, pass catchers I've ever seen. And he can't even block well either. Another guy. I mean, that Texas was what Darren Fells was. He couldn't corner. catch, and then look at him. Well, when Fells came, he was brought in a block, and he couldn't block at all. And then he came in, and he was like, oh, actually, he can just box guys out and catch some touchdowns. And we all knew he was in catch uh, six touchdowns ever again this season because – they paid for the outlier, and of course, that's what occurred. So the Texans right now have Ryan Izzo, Kahali Waring, Farrell Brown, Jordan Akins, Paul Questenberry, some guy named like Atualu. I don't know. I haven't heard. I've never actually seen him play at all before. Uh, but they have six, seven tight ends now on the roster. Uh, Joe, who do you think is the odd man out with Brevin Jordan being selected here? Uh, that Atualu. I think maybe uh, they probably only keep three. So you have three tight ends here, which I guess I should word it as who are the odd who's men staying? out here? Yeah. Who are the odd men out here? Well, I don't remember all seven of them. <laughs> so I'm going to say, <clears throat> I'm going to say the ones that I think are going yeah, to, are going to stay. Uh, Akins is going to stay. 
uh, Brevin Jordan's going to make the roster. And, is I mean, yeah, it would have to be Darren Fells. I was thinking maybe Kahali Waring. But I don't think I don't I don't I don't think he could beat out Darren Fells because Darren Fells has the production. Is well, Fels that, Fels is gone? So Fels got oh he's gone. Yes, yeah, oh, he signed, he signed with the Lions. Oh well, never mind. Okay, uh, well now it's in between. Now it's in between Pharaoh Brown and no, it had to be Kahali Warren. I, I think he could beat up Pharaoh Brown. I'll disagree with you there. Um, I I Matt knows this. I've been a hater i've been a warring hater for the entire time he's been on the team so i i think pharaoh brown has a he showed a lot in the last couple of years just in practice and i've heard his name pretty regularly in this kind of the scouting circle so i i think he's a guy that will make this roster he's a pretty damn big tight end so I, I'm, I'm excited to see how he develops and if he can fit in this system i believe uh now was he with the texans at all this past year i think he was with us for a little bit yeah, he just does it in free agency. No, Pharaoh Brown. I thought he. I thought he even took a few snaps. Yeah, he was. Uh, he the was the. Season. He was the best yeah, blocking tight end in, in Texans history this past year. <laughs> I, I I can see him making the roster. I, I don't see him making that big of an impact, but you know, with with that frame he's got, he's a big dude. So I think he'll fit in. Well, sorry, Matt. I tried to. I tried to make an argument that. Holly Warren could make it, but I don't. I, yeah, may, I, I don't know. Good luck against Fair Brown. I uh, Kahali loves to compete. It's what he lives for. He we we uh, thrive to compete on this beach here. And you know what Kahali was doing today? He was working out with Tyrod Taylor. So there you oh, go. Where did you oh. see that? I I saw it on Instagram today. I have it. I have Instagram. I only follow Kahali Warren. That's it. And he was working out with Tyrod Taylor. And so, I mean, like, I mean, he's he's gonna be really good this year. I'm ready for it. This is gonna be his You're year. You're in love with this man. I can You're feel in love it. with him. He really does. Oh my god, they are together. I'm looking at it right now. They're with Quincy Avery. Yep. Oh no. There you go. <laughs> it's beach season, so that means it's Kahali season. It's always Kahali season. <laughs> well, I don't know. Like January is not really Kahali season, but May May is peak Kahali season. May is peak. Oh man, sun's out, guns out, baby. When exactly did you fall in love with Kahali? When did this start? Oh, whenever they select him in the draft. I was like, I love this. He can block. He can run post routes. He can run the seam. He can stretch the middle of the field. They don't have this. And he never really got the chance to do so. And he has, I think, four total catches right now. And hey, and the fact that he hasn't, the fact that he hasn't done anything has not wavered your, your allegiance to him. No, of course not. Like this thing about the NFL draft is, I think one of the things yeah, I, you're right, you're I right. can't do about it is like, there'd be hundreds of people be like, Oh, I, I love this guy no matter what. But the NFL allows me to hate players. So I don't know anything about them in the draft, but like every year in the draft, all like there's always like, I don't know. There's always guys who really kind of hit me in a certain spot. Kahali, Martinez, Rankin, Julian Davenport are uh, the three that really come to mind. That only I yeah. love and nobody else loves. Yeah. I mean, I had once last year, like that cushion Barry center for the Broncos that ended up playing well. Um, and I got plenty of this year, but I I, I I I I don't know if I could be as loyal as you for or what is this th- three years down the line? I might be losing hope 
if Quincy Roche isn't playing yet. <laughs> yeah. Matt Matt loves his bad relationships. That's just that's just how it is for him. Well, it's the thing is it's like my life's so beautiful and perfect right now. And so like the Texans and football, it's like where I get my bad relationships and my depression that I I no longer have it all whatsoever. But like it's like I mean like I like Justin Re- like I love Justin Reeve and the Texans drafted him. I wrote an article about like how he's gonna be really good, how he's gonna start here. But like a lot of people said that. And so it's kind of more about like the fringes of it and liking something that nobody else likes. And it, that's yeah. kind of part of it as well too. I'm one of those sick people that uh, is very like unsure of whatever the status quo is. and doesn't like it very much. And, uh, and it's, you know, a mental illness uh, that I have on my own end. And so it's a schism in my personality, but it's what I have to deal with. So the next pick here, Garrett Wallow, pick number 170. I know during the pregame show, Joe, you kind of talked about how, and uh, Kenneth, you did too about the Texans' decision to trade up as many picks as they did to take Garrett Wallow is really kind of insane. They traded picks number 203 and 212 to move up to number 174, and they moved up to 170 from 174 by trading with the Rams by giving up 174 and 233 to select him. Uh, so, Kenneth, was Garrett Wallow worth the draft capital they gave up to be able to pick him? I truly don't get it. Like I, I recalled him because he caused the my Texas Longhorns so much pain, and he is a great story. I, I have heard of him before. I knew I knew of him in the second I saw that we drafted him. I was in Napa, uh, you know, drinking wine, and I got a buzz like Garrett. I was like, Are we going to, have to deal with that? And the fact that we had to trade up with him means that we were willing to give up multiple other players to acquire him. Like he is as good of a player as multiple other lottery picks, which based off his film, based off everything I know about him is, is just categorically not true. He is a quintessential special teams player, great tackling, um, works his way down fit downfield, uh, doesn't have enough quality ability to read between the tackles to make that next step. Uh, you know, he'll just slide in for what Peter Kalambayi was, you know, just that special teams guy who would come in for uh, preseason and make a couple of nice hits, but then just exist on the roster in the back end for uh, for special teams only. I, I completely agree. I I mean, the positives are is that he's fast. He has good instincts. Um, he often makes the right decision pre-snap reads and makes a big play, at least in college. Has enough athleticism to pursue carriers. Um, flashes a knack to quickly position himself to disrupt a player, lead carriers into tackles. Like... The fundamentals are there, but he's undersized. He's not fast enough, not strong enough, can be completely removed from a play with a good block. He's just, he's a walking special teamer, and it's too bad. It's too, we, we missed on so many good players by giving up these picks. And, like, he doesn't even fit in the Tampa 2 scheme. No. Like, yeah, he's fast, but, he, like, his coverage skills don't match. It's, yeah. it, it, it boggles me. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what they see. I mean, I you know... Nick Serio is way smarter than I am, so maybe no, maybe don't don't say that, playing. Joe. Because Serio wants to give <laughs> Watch you an your illusion. Mouth. He wants to that blue vest is an illusion. He it's an illusion <laughs> that he's a lot smarter than you. Talks about supply and demand and uh, the cost of fe- the marginal cost of capital and all these sorts of things. Don't listen to him. He's not smarter than you. You're smart. You're the you're the nobody's smarter than you are, Joe. Don't listen to that Nick Serio nonsense. Matt, we're, we're, I, I know we've talked about this quite often during the draft process. Go over your your late round strategy because I know ours are very different from like last time we talked. 
Well, I mean, like, I think there's two strategies. It's either you try to find skills or you try to find athletes. And you kind of go off of one of those two things. Or you try to find, like, good players with injury histories and kind of the Brandon Roy thing, you know, where you get a guy who you know who his knee's completely mangled, but maybe he'll be able to play a whole career of football. Maybe he'll be able to play four years. Who knows? You kind of go from there on it. Um, I think for the Texans, though, I think my I don't have, like, a unified strategy. I think it depends on the type of team that you have and where you're at, like, in your competitive cycle. So with the Texans this year, I think it, for me it would just be about getting athletes at this point. You know, getting raw players, getting raw players with uh, athletic potential and upside, and then guys you can try to coach and train and teach, you know, three years down the road because, again, this is a bad football team. It's going to be a bad football team for the next few years, and so getting athleticism and upside is more important than getting skills. And I think with, like, the wallow pick, it's like a coverage linebacker in quotation marks, kind of like Cam Gregor Hills, a coverage linebacker in quotation marks, where it's like an idea kind of fits the knee as sort of like a, a faster ranger linebacker, even if the coverage skills really aren't there at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't. I, I agree. I agree with that mostly. I might, I might lean towards the skill set a little bit more, but but that might be just in the context of this draft because I thought there was, I thought there was big production players that fell the whole way to the sixth round, like safety Demar Hamlin for Pittsburgh. I mean, he was. Possibly the best, the most productive player on a stacked pit defense last year, and would have easily started for us. And I think he has the athleticism to to improve upon that in the NFL. Um, so I might, I might be, I might, but I still might have a bias for the skill set. But it makes more sense to find athletes. I, I, I agree with your mindset more. And, and really, it's like it just depends on the team that you have and like where you're at. Like I think. You know, for example, like Jacksonville probably is probably better off getting athletes. I think, you know, a team like the Titans, that's a team that's better off getting players with skill sets at the point that they're at right now. It really kind of just depends on where you have holes and what you're using the draft to do. If you're using it to fill your weaknesses and holes you have on the roster, or if you just need to upgrade talent. And so the Texans are at a spot where they just need to upgrade talent. What about you, Kenneth? What is your what is your thoughts on this? I forgot about this these years we had this conversation before. Yeah, so my my process is I always like to use the last three, four rounds to find players who are ideal fits in your system at positions of strength. So making those positions, the, you know, the guy that would fit the system that is uh, you could if, if he, he has all the intangibles, you just have to train him up. And if he hits, he hits. And it just, you know, you build a player and then find, and then you find the system for him, uh, making sure that. Or the other way around is like he is a first he's the ideal body type for your system. And then, you know, you can develop him and if he develops, he'll he can replace the player who's currently there. And so that allows you to to hit and develop a system of players around your uh, or develop a system around the players you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's and the, so, the... so with Wallow, where do you think he fits in? Because I think with Wallow I think he's probably going to be like a nickel linebacker. He won't play in the 4-3 on base at all, but whenever they go nickel, he'll probably play like weak side linebacker there. And be like, yeah, he's fast, and he can kind of run around a lot. Uh, also another guy like a really weird athletic profile too. And so I think that's kind of where he may fit in in Houston. If not, he can always be like a special teams player, like an ump back and that, and then kind of chase down punts or whatever. Uh, but that's kind of where I see him. What about you, Kenneth? Yeah, I mean, I, I see him purely as a special teams guy. I don't, I don't think he has the high end speed or the the ability to tackle. Uh, he has the ability to tackle. I don't think he has the ability to break offensive guards blocks. 
And so I, I truly don't think he'll crack the top offense, the, the top defensive uh, you know, rotation, maybe down the line, especially as this team transitions and a lot of the linebackers we signed for one-year contracts leave. But at, at the end of the day, I, I purely don't think he has the – the, the stamina and, and the ability to, to, you know, make it into the NFL as a starter gotcha. or as just a rotational piece. Yeah, I mean, there's something about them that they loved. I don't know if it's just a culture thing where it's like, this is what we want a Texan to be, that they were so adamant about giving up what they did to move up and select him. Um, it was kind of weird, like, why they loved him as much as they did, you know? And he's a pure locker room guy. Like, you know, he he's not going to make, you know, for, for a team that needs less things in the news, he will not be one of them. Maybe that's why they like him. They need a guy to establish the culture. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He already has. I think he already has the team name. The Texans want to change their team name to already coming from TCU. Also, I'm getting also real like Mike Muhammad vibes from him too. Just like a fourth linebacker who plays, who people get excited about because he has like one interception, but then is never good at all. You know, for the entirety of his career. So that's, yeah, Brian that's Brandon for me game. exactly. Yeah, but at least like Brian Brayman like ate mushrooms in the desert and got arrested and won a Super Bowl and like almost broke his neck playing special teams. I think Wallace is a little bit more subdued than that. <laughs> he won't have the uh, story. Yeah, uh, that's what you get at West Texas A&M, the Javelinas out there. So the next pick here, Roy Lopez, the last pick, pick number 195 in the sixth round, a defensive tackle. I think Carlos Flores said it best. We described him as a Gears of War non-playable character. I think he's exactly <laughs> that. Uh, I think mean, it's absolutely perfect. But so, you know, he's he only, he's a run-stopping defensive tackle, but he only weighs 305 pounds. And so I think he's like 40 pounds too light to really kind of play in the NFL where he's at. I don't think he has very good like, lateral quickness and can kind of get eaten up in – Against like mid zone schemes, which is like twenty like twenty teams in the NFL mainly run mid zone now, and so I don't really see like kind of where he fits in. He looks cool, like he's really pretty on the field, but I don't really know you know where he kind of fits in Houston, and I don't know kind of like what need he fits either as far as like being like a run stopping you know defensive tackle. I think they can they have enough kind of big bodies there with especially with Taylor from Cleveland on the roster too. Um, what did you think about this pick, Joe? Do you have any good things I'll say about Roy Lopez? Not really. I think he's just straight up too small to play in the NFL. So unless he gets way bigger or way stronger, then he's going to have trouble doing much of anything. But like you said, I mean, he's just like wide and he has like a decent motor. Like he keeps himself involved and he, and there's a lot of moments in his, in his tape where he is the clear, like character on the offensive line. That's establishing the line of scrimmage and moving it back. Mm -hmm. Like he's good at, at keeping the pressure on. So he might be just able to use his motor and his like sheer like girth to just like clog up running lanes. Um, and that might be good enough, you know, be a backup defensive tackle and come in for a handful of plays a game um, to clog up a, a gap. Um, but that that's the that's the best I can think of. That's like that's the, the ceiling for him. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Yeah, like like for me when I'm looking at Lopez, it's kind of a frustrating pick where it's like, okay, I, I like the position, but the, the intangibles don't really look there. I think he, he's a hard worker every time I watch. He's he's definitely always driving his feet and kind of going through the motions of a of a player that he wants to be. But I, I think he lacks some you know, he's not the biggest. I think he actually probably lost some weight. Uh it looks like, you know, from his season and then to his uh you know, watching his his tape, his mo more recent tape and kind of his pro day film, 
looks like he probably dropped some pounds, which I don't know if that was a move to, to get a little bit more lean and lose some of that. You know, if when people call you say that you have low center of gravity, are they just telling you that you're fat? And that, that may be the case a little bit. So <laughs> I, I think he has some muscle to put on in the terms of weight, and I, he has the frame to do it. Uh, you know, he's, he's a big dude. I, I'm interested to see how he develops and his, abil- his ability to use his hands. Um, but I, I'm curious to think what y'all's ceiling is for him. Um, I, I, I think it's, I think it's, yeah, maybe may, like a, like the absolute best case scenario is like, he's like a slightly worse DJ reader, but he just doesn't have the size that DJ reader has. So he'll be, he'll be a backup defensive tackle in the best case scenario. If not, I think he's just a practice squad player and gone in a year or two. Yeah, I think best case scenario is like Christian Covington. Like DJ Reader is like you know, one of the 10 best defensive tackles as far as run stopping goes um, when he's healthy. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, got, I wish the best for him. Well, who sees what happens? I also, I wish I go back in time whenever I was like a fat 12 year old and somebody called me fat. I'd be like, I'm not fat. I just have a low center of gravity. That's all this is. <laughs> It'd be a very nice way to put it for Roy Lopez, too. What, what hurts the most about this pick and the 170 is what we gave up for him. If I, I mean, right now at 195, instead of getting Roy Lopez, we could have gotten edge rusher Quincy Roche from Miami. Great player. Edge rusher Shaq Tony from Penn State. Great player. Plenty of production was always in the backfield. Safety DeMar Hamlin from Pittsburgh was still available. Great productive safety. Offensive lineman Stone First Forsyth from Florida. Probably could have been a starting tackle on our team if we would trade Larry Tunsil, or we could kick him in the guard and he'd be a starting guard. Guard slash center Trey Smith from Tennessee was a was a projected first round or second round center for a lot of people, but fell the whole way to the sixth or seventh round. Could have gotten here and we could have easily been a start a, a day one starter for our for offensive line. Linebacker safety Jacoby Stevens from LSU. Really interesting player, really interesting athlete. Wide receiver Demetric Felton from UCLA. Amazing player. Really Really great athlete running back Khalil Herbert from Virginia Tech. Great running back. Cornerback Tay Gowan from UCF, another good player. All on the board at 195, and we passed up all of them for this guy. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I, I set up a situation in my article where I was like, imagine if we didn't trade up for 170 to get special teamer Garrett Wallow, and instead we sat on our 195, 203, 212, and 233. We sat on all of our late-round picks. We could have ended up with starting guard slash center Trey Smith from Tennessee, wide re- starting wide receiver slash running back Demetric Felton. That would be a great weapon for our offense this year. Starting safety DeMar Hamlin from Pittsburgh, and developmental edge rusher Shaka Tony from Penn State. All of those players, three of them probably would have been starting on our team in why, 2021 why did and the Tony, fourth one could have developed in some but why did it Tony fall like he did Shaka Tony yeah I think I think a lot of scouts thought that he was benefited from uh being surrounded by players like Osai and Jason Owe and or what is his name Olafin Owe or something like that and Micah Parsons but I mean I went to Penn State and I was at most of the games that Shaka Tony was a starter in and I thought I thought Shaker Tony was better than Owe, to tell you the truth. Hmm. Owe didn't have any sacks. Owe's just big and fast. He's six five, two thirty, and it ran a four three. Yeah. And that was enough for most scouts to say he's a first round talent. But Owe didn't really 
do much at Penn State. Shakatoni was the one that was always in the backfield, actually wrapping his hands around the running back and court and quarterback. Like Shaka, like Owe got all the credit for what Shakatoni was actually doing. <laughs> so that's why I like Shakatoni. Yeah, interesting. But yeah, Shaka- I mean, I, I'm I'm a big fan of just you know if you stack up on those seventh round picks, I know you, like you can of course do the same thing in the undrafted rookie free agency, but like. You know, there's just so many options to have, and uh, I know you probably these teams probably just get frustrated by you know a seventh round picker pick having to be on the roster. But with a team that is lacking depth and is lacking talent, like put as many uh, you know you know take as many lottery picks as you can, like go yeah. for it. Yeah. Like, keep swinging. Keep yeah. Keep swinging. Yeah. And another reason people didn't like Shaq Tony is that I don't think he has NFL size. I think people think that. You know, his production in college wasn't amazing, and it's going to be non-existent in the NFL because everyone is bigger and stronger around him. Mm-hmm. But the production is there. I don't think it's I don't think it's just it's the same thing with Demar Hamlin. They were just simply too good in college that I, I I'm willing to bet on them to get a bit stronger and faster so they can continue to produce in the NFL. I don't think it's just I don't think it's just going to stop out of nowhere. They're not going to be they're not going to become nobody players. Mm-hmm because they're just not big enough. I think they'll still do something. And like Kenneth said, like these are both players that have high ceilings. You might as well just keep swinging and hope that w- w- something sticks. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I do think Owe though, going to Baltimore, he's going to be like a hall of famer. The Ravens can turn, <laughs> they turn anybody yeah. on that. Fr- they, they can draft anybody. And they're on their front seven. They're absolutely incredible. Whether it's like your know, Matthew Judon, I think was a division like two player or a division one AA player. And they turned him to a superstar. Uh, I think Justin Matt, like whenever we talk about Justin Matt bouquet last year, I'm like, there's some really great flashes here. And I think it depends on the team he went to. And then he went to the Rams, like, oh, he's going to be Calais Campbell. There's nothing they can do to stop it. And, uh, and so the Rams. How did Justin Matt bouquet do? He was pretty good last year. I'm like, was he, he was. He, pretty good? Yeah. he was better yeah, yeah, than Blacklock right. was. And he was better than Marlon Davidson was. And like, he started some after they had some interior injuries. Like, he wasn't great, but he was pretty good, though. He got better as the yeah. year went on, too. Like, he actually had some. Uh, I was actually penetrating the backfield pretty often later on in the year. The Ravens Who was I do, in love with last year. The the Ravens do what everyone gives the Patriots credit for. Everyone always says that the Patriots have this revolving door of depth players that they coach up and make way better. And Bill Belichick's so good at coaching up cornerbacks and safeties. And he's just so talented that he never has to worry about taking first-round players because he can coach them up in yeah. fifth and sixth. But one, the Patriots haven't done. The Patriots have been the worst drafted team by far for like five straight years. Belichick is awful at coaching de- defensive players. Really, the only one, the only decent one he's picked is that one from last year, that safety that no one's heard of. That's the only like, okay Dagger, one he's done. That yeah, is pretty that's, cool though. And Winovich yeah. is pretty good. Yeah, Winovich is okay, but would he be? Is I mean, like, imagine him on the Texans. Imagine that production on the Texans. He'd be gone in three years. He'd just be Brooks like, Reed, probably, except not yeah. as fast, like a le- yeah. at least athletic. Ooh, Brooks, Reed. Good. Brooks Reed also went to Arizona. Well, same school as Roy Lopez. <laughs> but um, like, yeah, I mean, go through all of the defensive players the Patriots have drafted in the past five years, and nearly all of them are terrible, um, or never played. Like they're just they they just they just haven't been doing it for the past half decade while Baltimore is actually doing it where they always have good defensive players and they always go with free agency and sign big deals with other teams. Yeah, and, and the thing about the Patriots is like they're kind of built around making a lot of picks, making a lot of selections, and 
that was kind of thing that surprised me about Casario. Like in a perfect world, the Texans make zero picks in this draft and they just trade down over and over and over again. <laughs> and they collect like 50 draft picks for you know, years to come. Uh, because one, like that's the way the analytics work for the NFL draft, especially once you get past like the midway point in the second round or it just becomes lottery spins and no team's like really historically good at drafting the spots. You kind of get lucky here and there. And the second thing yeah. is that the draft is a world of limited information and without an NFL combine, without in-person interviews, without even a 2020 college football, 2020 college football season for so many schools and players, the information that's already limited is even more limited than to begin with too. So I, uh, I, that's what I was kind of hoping for. And I was surprised they didn't trade down, you know, kind of very much at all here too. Uh, so Joe, I want I want to ask you one more question about this draft class. And then I want to talk about kind of like my big idea about this draft class and the 2021 Texans. And then, We'll call it a show. So talk about the Texas A&M offensive tackle they signed that you're very fond of right now. Oh, Carson Green. Let's go, Carson Green. I love Carson Green. I don't know, it might be just me, um, but I was watching a lot of tape of Carson Green in the past few days, and he just, like, I mean, he, he fought for – he got the starting job, like, halfway through the season in his true freshman year, and I think it was 2017, and he kept it. He kept in 2018, he kept in 2019, he kept in 2020, and he got better and better every year. And in most of 2020, he pretty much just, like, especially in pass coverage, he just eliminated the edge rushers on that side of the field. Mm-hmm. Like, he just, like, he has a great punch. He always keep he has good hands, always keeps his, his, uh, leg square. Here, I'm, I'm trying to bring up my, is this him? Yeah. I was looking up my notes for him, but I, I put down reliable starter for nearly four full seasons at right tackle shows the ability to handle several different kinds of pressures and stunts, quick hands and stay square, good hand placement mirrors his opponent. He's, he's fantastic at just like watching his opponent and preparing for the first punch can recover from mistakes quickly, often regaining leverage when getting bull rushed has several games where he locks down his side of the line, opening holes in the run game and keeping his quarterback clean in the pass game. Uh, my cons were, I, I think he's a li- little bit, I, th- I think he could stand to get, get a little bit more strength and maybe a little bit more upper body weight so that he can handle the bigger and, f- and faster edge rush as well. That That's the worst thing is that he's not that fast. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid that he, he won't, he won't function at tackle in the NFL because he's just not fast enough, um, and for the NFL athletes, but you kick him in a guard. I mean, he's a. He's a starter, man. He he can he can be a starting right or left guard for us, or even a center maybe. Probably not a center because he doesn't have experience as center. But like starting left right guard easily. He just he's just too good. He's too consistent. He's too. I good. take that. Well, yeah. And that's interesting too because like Max Sharping cannot be penciled in at left guard. Sharping was didn't have a playbook last year. He was weak last year. His pad level was bad last year. He was absolutely horrendous in that position. Like, he was worse than Brent Qualley was. And we laughed a lot about Brent Qualley, like, starting for the Texans, but Qualley was a better player than Sharping was. And so the Texans signed, like, five different guys, whether it's Elgington Jenkins or, uh, I don't know, the long, long, <laughs> the long laundry list of guys that they signed at guard this year, the like interior offensive line. But they're all there to compete with Max Sharping. And so maybe the Texas A&M tackle could be another guy like that, too, to compete there as well. Um, so... The biggest thing, though, I guess, from the draft and then the free agency period that we've kind of seen in the Casario, it seems like he treated the UDFA period, he treated the NFL free agency period how you usually treat UDFAs, where he just signed a bunch of guys. He 
actually restructured contracts so he could sign a bunch of guys. I uh, try to add just like a, a many, as many players as possible without really kind of caring about the actual talent level of them, which is kind of bizarre to do. While completely skimping on the UDFA period of the draft, only signing you know four players to that portion of it, which you really wouldn't expect for a team that lacks young talent, that lacks youth at all kind of whatsoever. And so that portion yeah. of it was kind of really surprising to me. And I, I do think like, I don't think the Texans are trying to tank next year though. Like I think Easterby and Coley and Casario, like I think they believe they could have like a competent football team next year. Like I think they really kind of bought into like the cult that they have running over there. And also like you don't sign the type of veterans like they did without having some idea of like trying to field a competitive football team this year. I don't think the Texans are going to be good at all necessarily. Either going to be really bad and they're going to win, you know, three, four or five games or whatever. But I do think they're coming into this year thinking they may be able to, you know, compete for a playoff spot. Uh, or be like you know somewhat competent this year, and so I'm not buying it from a talent standpoint. But that's how I kind of view the Texans thing about their team, especially after seeing their their info draft and the way they view the UDFA period in conjunction with the free agency period too. Uh, what are your thoughts, Kenneth? So I I've completely disagreed. I think this team is in full tank mode, but they're going at it in a unique way. I um is I think the the un, only having four undrafted rookie free agents actually kind of confirms it that it's it's not a one-year tank this is a multi-year process uh, these guys instead of you know, the the cult is that we're going to be here forever they're you know they're they're going to restructure this entire infra, uh, infrastructure the way that they want it to be built and what they're doing is that they're kind of saving face they want the team to be respectable this year and that's why they've accumulated kind of all this veteran talent but then also not in, over invested in the draft because they're just going to hold, they're going to, they, they spent some money to save some money. And the way that they're going about it is making sure, okay, we're going to have a four win season this, this time around is what they're expecting. We'll probably win three and then they'll begin the tank. And then they'll begin to like accumulate these draft picks and kind of sell off these players and maybe try to get compensatory picks out of it. So I, I think that they are in this for the long haul in the sense that they are, they are hoping that this one year, is a lull. People get over everything that has happened in the past three years, and then they can start fresh in 2022. See, I, I didn't think about the idea that the idea behind signing all these veteran free agents isn't necessarily to like you know, be good, maybe, but because they can determine the compensatory picks next year. But like, if that's the point, like you're trying to get more third, fourth, and fifth round picks, they don't trade up and trade your third, fourth, and fifth round picks that they did. Uh, and make some of the decisions they did too. Like I agree, like, this is like a multi-year rebuild, and they don't really, and they don't have any talent. They're gonna be bad this year. But I do think like they sign players that they think could start to be like competent this year. And like if you're tanking, I think you do what like the Browns did or what the Jaguars did, and that's just like play a bunch of young players and see what you have and lose games because of it, and start Jake Luton and start Mike Glenn. Like that's how you tank. And so I don't really think the Texans are doing that. I think they're trying to be you know, competent this year. Uh, but then it's not going to work out and like, they'll be in the full rebuild. I think like we're in the same conclusion. I just think we kind of disagree on what we're seeing, you know, right there and right now. Uh, what do you think, Joe? I, th- I think they're going, you know, it's, a, it, I, I don't know. My, my, my opinion is very fluid on this. I've, I've gone back and forth a whole lot of times and it's almost kind of exciting. Like looking at this dilemma that the, the that the Texans have set up for us last year. It's like trying to read the Voynich manuscript. Like it changes every time you try to read it. (laughs) 
Um, but I, I think it's a little bit in the middle of the road of what you guys are saying. I think they're they're not trying to play a whole bunch of young players and see what they got. I think Casario doesn't like that idea. I think that he might think that playing a whole bunch of young players, you never really know who the biggest star is because they're all kind of raw and messy. And maybe he's thinking, let's sign veteran players that we know are are okay at positions where we don't have any interesting young players. And let's fill in pl- and, and let's empty out the spots that we have interesting young players in, like quarterback with Davis Mills now and wide receiver with Nico Collins and tight end with Brevin Jordan. And let's surround them with okay talent so that we can fo- we can put a lens to we can put a magnifying glass directly on them mm-hmm. and see how good they actually are. And obviously, like you said, signing all spending all this money and in free agency and signing all these veterans like the goal isn't the tank obviously even though i i think it's kind of weird when teams save money anyways like like what are you doing when you're save and when you have cap space like it's not like you're helping yourself out next year like like having cap space in, in a year like that's just dead money basically so spending all of it every single year isn't really doesn't hurt you that much in the long run as long as you don't as long as you aren't stupid i guess yeah, but you're you're um, but, you get to, to carry that over year to year though. So whatever you've left over, you get to carry it to the next year afterwards. And so like, even if you don't spend you have fourteen million, it's extra fourteen million you have the year after for it. And so like, you kind of lose that aspect of it. And then also by restructuring contracts, like by yeah. restructuring Tunsil, they lost the ability to trade Tunsil to do so. By yeah, restructuring wild. Winnie Merciless, like they should have paid their bills this year so that way they could have had eighty five, ninety five million dollars in cap space next year. And they didn't. Instead they're gonna yeah. they're gonna they're not they're gonna gain zero dollars when they cut Winnie Merciless next year because of the restructure. They by restructuring yeah. Yo know, Cunningham, it kinda opens that door as well too. They're just pushing these contracts down the road. And the same thing with Tunsil too. And so I don't understand that aspect of it where it's like if your goal is to have cap space for a rebuild and have draft capital. They haven't done that all yet. Whatsoever. No, no. They've made the they've made the stupid mistakes of restructuring those contracts and and it, p- basically painting themselves into a hole that they can't get out of. But that's why I kind of agree with you. I think I think they're trying to get the best of both worlds. Like Nick Casario is trying to please everyone in the building by signing all these veterans and saying, "Well, all the veterans we signed." If they have a career year, if we're ever to build a perfect offense and a perfect defense around them, we might be a frisky team that can hang around in a crappy AFC South and get nine wins, maybe eight or nine wins. Miami Dolphins system. Yeah. Uh, But if we don't, say we start the first six or seven games and we've only won one or two games then he can go, he can say this, this season's over. I'm going full tank. Yeah. And and he can start Davis Mills, start Brevin Jordan, start Nico Collins, and give them as many snaps as possible to get an idea if these guys should be worth keeping around for next year. And trade trade players in the middle. And it might be like October. He The trade deadline might be the most important date for our 2021 season because if we don't look good shortly before the trade deadline, he might you know, flip the lever and go full tank mode and trade 10, 15 players before the trade, trade deadline's over. You know what I mean? I don't know if he can do that, though. Like you said, we we have so many odd contracts, we might literally be unable to. Well, and it's also like, who's going to give up a, a six-round pick from Elite Collins, you know? Like, yeah. that's the other thing, too. It's like, he's signed with players who aren't very good. Like, I mean, maybe you can get something for 
Desmond King, but King only got a fourth round. Like he only got like a fifth round pick this year already, you know. And so I just don't necessarily know what the trade value would even be for these guys. Like we're not talking about Hassan Reddick here. We're not talking about good players that were signed in one year contracts. Like they only signed three actual football players. And everybody yeah. else would like you know they're Jags and they're you know, NPCs and however it is that you want to call it too. So they are like in a weird spot where they're in between both. And the only thing I can think of that makes sense is if. Cal McNair said, we need, to, we're, we need to win football games this year. This was an awful year. We have a good football team. Look, Jack said we have a good football team. You know, we're expected to, you're going to win games this year. And so Casario bounced off that in the best way he could do so. And then whenever yeah. they went, be like, look, this is a bad team. We need to start from the beginning. And maybe it opens the door from that um, the following year. But to me, it doesn't feel like they're actively trying to tank. It feels like they're actively trying to be good, but they're not going to be good, you know? It's possible that they're going to try and, like, artificially inflate the value of some of these odd players by giving them plenty of snaps at the beginning of the season. And when the trade deadline comes along and there's teams that are fringe playoff teams looking for a few players or some depth that can get them over the hump, he might be able to get more value out of trading these players than they deserve. Maybe that's the plan. And then we load up on like six round picks for next year. Like maybe, yeah, maybe that's the plan is that we artificially inflate the value of all these players and we get, like, 26-round picks out of it. <laughs> and that goes against, like, what we just did this year where we, like, we traded a bunch of picks. Yeah. To, so, I mean, I, I agree. Uh, I'm trying to put the puzzle piece together that they're they're front-loading this, but uh, my understanding was that the Whitney Merciless and Laramie Tunsil uh, deals were to free up space, but it for sounds like year. y'all both well, they for free, this year. For this year, but it it, it bumps up Laramie Tunsil's cap space in the future. Whenever they cut Winnie Merciless next, after this season, they're going to get zero dollars back. If they oh, cut Winnie Merciless without the extension next year, they would have saved twelve million twelve million dollars to the cap. So they just they just rechanged the bonus money to decrease their salary this year, but they lose the ability to save money you know, next year and the years after, and it completely removed any possibility of being able to trade Laramie Tunsil by restructuring him too. And so again, like they they this year should have been about paying bills. You know, we didn't have a first or second round pick. We got more draft picks. We're going to pay off the rest of these bad contracts Bill O'Brien had. And then 2022, we can cut Eric Murray. We can cut Wendy Merciless. We can maybe trade Lermie Tensel. Or we can trade Lermie Tensel this offseason. Who cares? Um, and yeah. then start the rebuild like halfway this year and go full rebuild next year. But they really didn't do that by the restructures. Instead, they create cap space for this year so they could they could sign Camu Greiger-Hill and Malik Collins and Philip Lindsay and trade for Marcus Cannon and do all these things that just don't really like add up. So it's been like really just disjointed all throughout it where I don't have a really good feel at all for what they're doing. But for me, it seems like they're trying to be good this year, but I don't think they're going to be good. I think they're going to be either surprised or it's like something ownership is kind of pushing down them, which is the best way to look at from an optimistic perspective where you want Nick Casario to be good. And right now I like, I hate like 50% Nick Casario, I, I'm indifferent to 50% of him, but I love like 10% of him. And that's the 10% of him that's like, yeah, we're going to cut Nick Martin. We're going to cut Darren Fells. Like, I love that portion of it, but there's still this kind of like weird difference between them. And I hate his blue vest more than anything in the world too. So that goes in the first 50%. Do you think yeah, I mean, I, I, to, I can I'll go for it. Do you think they're trying to do like a 2017 Bills situation where it's Sean McDermott's first year with the 2017 bills and he doesn't want to do a full rebuild yet because he thinks they have a few talented players and he's just going to use his raw coaching acumen to get the, to get Tyrod Taylor and 
whoever their running back was that year. Who is it? Shady McCoy. Um, you know, just rely on them to carry them to a nine and seven record and then hit the reset button in 2018. Is that the plan? Like, do they think they, I don't think we, I mean, we got Tyrod Taylor. Maybe they think they can squeeze another good year out of him. Um, but we don't have like a Micah Hyde and a Jordan Poyer and a Tredavious White that the 2017 Bills could rely on on defense. We got Tyrod Taylor and, I mean, Philip Lindsay might be comparable to 2017 McCoy if you're being kind to Lindsay. Kind. But, yeah. Yeah. And they signed Mark Ingram and they kept David Johnson. Yeah. I think the one. Yeah. Thing, you know what I, I mean, I think one thing holding that back though is just is just that McDermott was an actual football coach, like a good head coach <laughs> candidate, and and Coley isn't that like Coley's here for morale purposes, you know? Yeah. He's yeah. This is yeah. it's so weird. Uh, I'm interested to see how this this devolves because I, I could very much see the McNair saying we have to you know after a season where they didn't have any fans in the seats they you know they don't want to have another a season where no one is there again uh, you know, especially from you know a monetary standpoint they're, they could I could see them pushing for this season to be respectable so just so they don't lose so much money in back to back seasons mm-hmm. he that thinks really so he thinks it. they're gonna pack stadium this year he hopes for it. And he no thinks they're going to pack the stadium because football is back, and that's yeah. going to be an idea. But I, then, like, if he, yeah, two years with no no one in the stands, it could be catastrophic. I and I hope nobody goes this year. Like, even if it's allowed to have full stadiums, I do think like they're going. The NFL is going to allow full stadiums this year. Um, but I hope like there's only twenty three thousand people there because the team is bad and everybody hates him. They're all upset at him. Like, cause he he's in like this world where it's a bubble, and he all he talks to is Nick Casario, Jack Easterby, and David Coley now. And they're like, yeah, it's great. We're doing great. We're doing great. The fans love us, and he's not on the internet. He's not seeing all these bad things. And then now here it is, and it's like you can't. You can turn off your computer. You can turn off your cell phone, but you can't turn off an empty stadium. You know. And so I am hoping for that the stadium's empty. And he kind of understands that this is what happens by you completely destroying the football team. Right. Yeah. Um, the it, the last big thought I had was the Deshaun Watson trade. He's the Texans have hung on to him. They didn't make the trade, and I don't really want to talk about the allegations because it's still like a lull in there. And the and the legal proceedings is a very long and slow process. Um, but the Texans aren't going to trade him until next year. Now that you cannot trade him unless you know exactly the draft picks you're going to get for him at all whatsoever. And the thing about the Watson trade is that they have to nail it. Like if they don't absolutely nail the Watson trade the Texans are going to be bad for the next five years. If they're able to nail the Watson trade and nail the draft picks they get for them, they can maybe use it as a spring off point to be good, like, you know, two or three years from now, if they hit on those draft picks. But that's kind of like the fulcrum, like, with the franchise, you know. If they're able to maximize the value, maybe the Texans are good by 2000, you know, 24, 25. If they don't, the Texans may not be good until, you know, 2028 potentially. And so it really is kind of the turning point of the team. And, um, it's been interesting to see what they're able to get for him next year. I'm concerned they may not even be able to get as much as the Texans gave up for Laramie Tunsil, which would be absolutely hilarious. But uh, it really, like, this entire season is just a haze. It's meaningless. It doesn't matter. What matters is next year, whenever they have top five picks again, and whenever they trade Watts when they get from them. And that's what matters. And so it really is me kind of like a, a way we're going to be like, well, how do you like watching the Texans? It's like, well, I, I like Kyle Waring's biceps. I like... Uh, you know, David Coley's smile. Like, that's how we're going to watch the football team this year. That's another strong 
theory as to why they they're kind of straddling the line between rebuild and trying to win this year is that they don't want to initiate the rebuild until they get a trade offer or they trade Deshaun Watson. They they don't want to they don't want to kickstart the the tanking operation until the biggest move has been made. Like they can't start it until Deshaun Watson's traded. And since they couldn't start it this year, they were kind of left in a limbo where they couldn't really invest in becoming a better football team or tanking in 2021. So Casario just kind of took like the straight line to mediocre. As that actually makes could. a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so what did the Texans trade to get Watson? What was the, so it was, it was, was it a first round pick and what else? To get Watson, it was, well, they trade up their first round pick and they traded their next year's first round pick. Because um, they didn't have a first round pick in 2018. Oh and the, yeah, and the Browns had that pick instead. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I believe the Browns took Baker, and then they took Denzel Ward. Mm, that's a good, good pick. And then they traded two firsts and a second for Tunsil. So I mean, like I think you have to. I think the conversation now is two first round picks at least, and then you kind of go from there on it. I would think you have to get at least three. You know, the Seahawks gave up two first round picks for Jamal Adams. Um, so I think you have to get at least three for them and then kind of go from there on it. But like that still doesn't stop you from being bad this year and making sure you get at least a top five pick, which I think they're going to be able to do. Even if they try to win games, which I think they're going to do, they're going to be bad. They're going to be like a three or four win, or five win team. And so I think they're going to have a top five pick next year regardless of what occurs from that perspective of it. It's it's going to be wild three years down the line when we have a from the bottom to the top a completely different team than what we had in 2020 or 2019. Like, we're going to be talking about completely different players and a completely different coach and completely different context of what's going on. Josh McCown, baby. (laughs) Oh, my God. Davis Mills and the Josh McCown offense in 2026. Let's go. (laughs) Sell those tickets. Once the 53-man roster comes out, I, I'm we're, we're going to have to calculate what what percent difference is the the roster from the year before. I mean, the average is I think it's around 35 percent. I can see this being you know 50 percent, you know, 25 new players. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a great point. It'd be kind of a fun article to write too. I'm ex- I always like your uh, your training camp competition article. Uh, Kenneth, I think this year's may be like 10,000 words long. <laughs> yeah, there's gonna be a lot of competitions this year. Who knows what's in play? Exactly, like what Casario wants. Well, uh, this is a very long episode. I haven't been on the horse in a while. I talk like pure Texans football, and so I had uh, a lot to get out of me. I'm sure you guys did too. And I think this was really great. I think we nailed the draft, and I'll probably cut this up into two parts because uh, an hour and fifty minutes is a lot for for anybody, let alone you know somebody as dumb as I am too. So I'll cut it up, and it was a lot of fun talking to you guys tonight. But until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Battle Red Radio. Thank you for being on side, Joe. And thank you for being on side, Kenneth. Yep. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. 
Learn more at marines.com.